Brethren, it's good to be here tonight waiting for the go bell, and that was the go bell, so uh, we'll prepare to get ready for our Bible class tonight. Thankful to each of you for attending online and then uh, for the very few that are here uh, tonight. But let's go to God, please, in a word of prayer. Oh, magnificent, wonderful, and great God, we praise you for your graciousness, for your kindness, for your mercy, your care, and for your love. We ask, Lord God, that you would guide us this evening in all truth, that you help us, Lord God, to approach the text with an honest and open heart, being ready and willing to receive your message, to make the necessary applications and changes, and even transformations in our heart that bring glory and honor to your name. Thank you for Jesus, your great Son, whom you so willingly sent to die on that cruel, cruel cross of Calvary. These things we thank you for and pray in that wonderful, magnificent, most awesome, holy, in precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to be thy will. Amen. Uh, so Luke 15 is where we are tonight. We are looking at the second son now. So the prodigal uh, is, is, is finished, the second son. God came, we, li- we ended with this thought, God came all the way from heaven to save sinners. But amazingly and interestingly enough, um, as Jesus has been talking about the wedding feast and those who weren't, um, who were invited but didn't come, and he, he goes on to speak of that, he gets to this prodigal, and uh, we realize that not everyone is interested in the salvation of others. And that doesn't always feel too comfortable when you think about the second son and Tonight is probably a Bible class of uncomfortable things we have to think about that I think that God wants us to look at uh, when we think about this second son. So in the parable thus far, um, we have the father, he's saved, thank God for that. The prodigal son, saved, we can say in a saved state, both of them. What about the elder son? So let's look at him. Verse 1 and verse 2, again, we have to grab this because we don't want to lose thought uh, or lose the context. Now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So it's easy to notice the sinner. When you think about the prodigal son, you go, oh, the sinner. You know, the prodigal son is the sinner. The hard part is is to accept that Jesus said there are two sons. And the context about being saved and being lost. And to think that all this time, for all of these years, like he says himself, I've never abandoned you, I've never forsaken you. For all these years, there have been the elder brother sitting in the pews of a lot of church buildings and and no one even knows it except for the elder brother himself. Scary part is I don't even know that he knows it. And so looking at the elder brother was uh, is what Jesus wanted the, the Pharisees to do because remember he's speaking to the Pharisees and what he wants the Pharisees to do is where we're going to drain gain the same application 
for ourselves that we're going to hopefully be able to do, and that is to take a good inward look at what's inside of my heart. So though I have sat in the pews for years and years and years of the Lord's church, the question is, have I become like the elder brother? Luke 19 in verse 10, Jesus rounds the corner from all of his parables and brings out the Son of Man uh, has come to seek and save that which is lost. So applying this today, I'm going to ask questions that obviously we, we're not probably going to answer tonight, but we're going to think about it. And I want you to think about it in your homes and, and amongst, you know, throughout maybe this week and, um, ask yourself, you know, does this in any way apply to me? And as I look through the text and thought about the text and keeping, uh, you know, before me the, the scribes and the Pharisees and thinking about the mishaps of congregations and things that have gone on, um, it is very applicable to many individuals in congregations throughout the Lord's church, or should I say amongst the Lord's church, could the elder brother's attitude have been part of the reason for the son's, the prodigal son's departure? Think about that. Remember what Jesus is trying to tell us. This is the attitude of the scribes and the Pharisees. And I want you to think about that, because we're going to go look at a couple of scriptures to see that exact attitude in the scribes and the Pharisees, that they became the kind of people that made others feel uncomfortable because they were self-righteous, because they they themselves didn't see their own sin. And so their attitudes were, were not very nice. Um, we don't have the motive for, you know, as to why the, the younger brother left. It wasn't just... To, to party, or, or maybe it was just a party. We'll, you know, we'll think about that. We'll think about sibling rivalry, but we're just not given a motive as to why he actually left his home. I, I mean, it's easy to blame him and say, well, because he wanted money, and, and well, because he wanted just to go party, and yet that's not actually stated in the text. Okay, remember, it's about two sons. Uh, and remember that the younger brother represents, you know, the sinners, who are at the feet of Jesus. And so maybe maybe it wasn't um, that he just wanted to go party. Maybe there's more to the account. We're not told. But we're viewing, turn to Matthew 23, we're viewing the attitude of the scribes and the Pharisees and how uncomfortable they could really make you feel if you were in their presence. Uh, verse 1. And Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds. For they say things and do not do them. And they tie up heavy loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. So Jesus says, listen to what they tell you, because, you know, they're studious in the law. They read it and study it. But don't be like them, right? 
And so again, the older brother represents is representing the scribes and the Pharisees. When it comes to salvation, turn to John chapter 9. When it comes to salvation, what what was the attitude of the scribes and Pharisees? Just imagine, if you will, that here we are in our, our worship uh, assembly and, and, and sinners have come to, to visit with us and we make them intentionally feel very uncomfortable. Would they ever come back? Obviously not, right? This self-righteous attitude, we'll see it in the Old Testament as well as in the New, but I want you to look at verse 32. Since the beginning of time, it is, by the way, the, the context, this is the young man born blind and the scribes and Pharisees and the leaders are trying to figure out who did it. And he says it's, it was Jesus, some man, and they're trying to figure it out. Verse 32. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were born entirely in sins, and you are teaching us, and they put him out. So think about salvation, right? Here are the scribes and Pharisees, um, you know, the, the same ones Jesus is talking about in the text in Luke 15. This man has been healed. Instead of rejoicing with the man saying, praise God that you can see, they are ridiculing him and saying, who do you think you are? trying to tell us about God when you were born entirely in sin, which, which by the way, was a speculative thought. In fact, uh, if you go back and look at the context in John 9, verse 1 and 2, it wasn't that he sinned nor his parents. It was for the glory of God. So they missed the complete picture. They, didn't, they couldn't even see it. But, but the, the scary part is that this self-righteous attitude, it, it led them to misrepresent God. So when you read Luke 9, verse 1 and 2, you'll see that what the Pharisees are saying here is a misrepresentation of God himself. It had nothing to do with sin. It was just specifically uh, for the glory of God. And what it reminds me of is that when when the attitude of of self-righteousness is in our midst, if it's in, if it's in my heart, then I become kind of callous and kind of cold-hearted. And, and I'm, I'm thinking about like Job's three friends. At first they come and they sit in silence and they're, and they're very empathetic. But, um, it doesn't turn, it doesn't take long before they, they become pretty mean spirited. I mean, here Job, Job's pain and agony has not gone away. I mean, he is still suffering. Satan is still putting the thumb on him and, and really bringing some horrible a horrible situation into his life. And, and yet the three friends are just sitting there saying, you, you know, you, you're a sinner. You did this. You, you, I mean, it's a, it becomes a very harsh text as you continue to hear the dialogue, the, what we might call the arguments between Job and the three friends over and over again. They, they were insistent on the fact that Job had committed such horrible sins that God is punishing him for whatever it is that he did. And yet, and yet Job had not committed those sins or that sin that they spoke of. That sin that, by the way, Job, if you weren't a sinner, you'd be sitting on this side with us. But because you are a sinner, you know, you're, you're over there, right? So they say to him, how can you teach us um, when you were born entirely in sin? Then the next part of the harshness 
is found in verse uh, 32. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? And they put him out. So now, being put out of the synagogue is like you, you can't worship any longer. Because that's where they worshiped, in the synagogues, in the temple. So imagine now for just a moment this callous attitude of the the uh, the scribes and Pharisees that they would actually a man who's been given a, an amazing gift and by the way when you look at John chapter 3 Nicodemus says we know that you are from God so they knew who Jesus was um, John 11 we know they they were just concerned about themselves and their kingdom but they were willing to take the worship opportunity away from an individual because they couldn't answer his questions. What a, what a terrible attitude. John 11, verse 47. Therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Verse 53. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. They didn't plan to kill him because he was wrong. They planned to kill him because he was right. And because he was doing the right things. Because he was God. That's a really bad attitude, right? So, so uh, I just want to keep that in front of you. Let's go to Luke 17, uh, and, and, and then let's think about a few more questions. I want to keep that in front of you because this is the point that Jesus wants us to get. He wants us to look at the older brother through the eyes of the scribes and the Pharisees, look at the younger brother through the eyes of the sinners who are sitting before us, and then there's the father who is full of forgiveness and, and, and compassion. And we'll get there in, in a moment. But verse 1 and verse 2 of Luke 17. And he said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks should come, but woe to him through whom they come. It will be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. And we know, based on the text that we've read that the Pharisees and the scribes are guilty of, of causing people to stumble away from God. Okay, now, what about the relationships between the older and the younger brother? Um, and and I, again, I don't have any real answers for this, but if you will, focus and think about this through the eyes of the scribes and the Pharisees. We're thinking of the Pharisees. Um, how did the brother the older brother, pattern his life. So, you know, what kind of son was he? Well, let's look at him in a moment. What kind of son was the younger brother? Was he, when you when you think of the younger brother, would you say maybe he was, um, was he spoiled? You know, we don't know that. But was he a spoiled young man? And so that created some kind of resentment or, or animosity between he and his brother. Because when you look at the text, um, the brother doesn't even claim, the older brother doesn't even claim his younger brother. Um, he says, this son of yours. 
Uh, also, when you look at the text, the older brother doesn't even acknowledge that the younger brother is home safe. That doesn't even doesn't concern him uh, one bit. I wonder if, if with the Pharisees, if Jesus is, is saying, okay, Pharisees, I want you to go backwards and I want you to think about the sibling rivalry of the Joseph account. Right? I want you to think about that. Those boys hated their brother and sold him off uh, to the Egyptians. The elder brother is struggling in his heart for whatever reason, whether it be the rivalry between um, he and his brother or whether it be his attitude toward his father, right? Because his father, remember, his father gave in to him. His father said, you know, the son came and asked for his uh, his share and the father the father gave it to him. And so there's this, this jealousy that we'll look at later uh, in this text. Do you, do you think the older brother loved his younger brother when you read the text? Do you think he loved himself? So why did the scribes and the Pharisees resent Jesus? Because he was concerned about sinners. I mean, it really doesn't make sense when you read the text. You start wondering, why would people who supposedly follow God not have a desire for a person who desires to learn about God, to leave uh, the world of whatever you want to call it, agnosticism or, or atheism or maybe just um, idolatry, to leave that, to, to become proselytes and then begin to follow God with Judaism? Why wouldn't... Why wouldn't the Pharisees and the scribes want that? And then the next question is, um, the, who's in the worst condition? The sinners sitting at Jesus' feet or the sinners who are accusing God of doing wrong? Think about that. You have one group who are willing to listen and humble themselves. You have another group who want to instruct God on what salvation really looks like. John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Um, verse 35. They saw no need for forgiveness. This is what's, this is what's scary about the text. And I want, I want to just say this for a moment. Um, the Pharisees and the scribes either did not or could not or whatever the reason was, they could not see their own lostness. They couldn't even see it. They, they were as blind as can be. It reminds me of Second Corinthians 4, 4 where uh, the Bible says that uh, Satan has blinded the eyes of the unsuspecting. He's blinded people. And so he's blinding not worldly people, though in a sense, you know, they got a worldly mindset. He's blinding the people of God. And, and so if we made this, you know, made the story colloquial, brought it in for today's time, I wonder, I wonder if there are members of the church who are blind. Am I blind? John 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had put him out. This is the same man, born blind. And finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered and said, And who is he, Lord, 
that I may believe in him. And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. So you see the, the text, the Pharisees could see, and that's why they were blind. And those who were blind could not see, and that's why they were able to see. In other words, you look at the difference between humility, right, and self-righteousness. The humble ones could, were blind to their sin and the error of their ways, and they, they woke up because of the blessing of God, the message of God, and they repented. So God then enabled them to see. But the Pharisees had no need of repentance in their hearts. And so therefore, even though God was standing right before them, they were blind. They were blind. Could the elder brother also be part of the young, part of the reason that the younger brother doesn't really want to come home? Think about that. You know, whether it be fear or, but, but definitely how about judgment? You know, just the idea of, you know, they're going to judge me. How, how do people see us, you know, in the church? How do, how, when you think about this question, if a member has fallen away, and, and, and you know, get, I'm not going to go into any reason, but for whatever reason, an individual falls away, and then they want to turn their lives around and come back to the Lord. How do they see us? Do they see us as this wonderful, fun-loving, godly group who with open arms will receive anyone who wants to come to Jesus and anyone who wants to return to Jesus? Or do they see us as a bunch of grumblers who might be skeptical and maybe um, unwilling to reaffirm our love, reestablish the relationship with the individual? How do they see us? That's maybe a good question to ask um, someone, if you're out and you find a member that hasn't been here for a long, long time, you know, you, we try to get them to come back, uh, to the Lord, encourage them to return to God. And maybe we might ask, you know, or say, if, if you wanted to come back to the Lord, we will receive you with open arms if you're willing to repent and come back to God. And then they might say, well, I would love to come back and I need Jesus or I wonder if anyone would say, I can't come back because no one's going to forgive me. Think about that, right? Because this is a, real, a very real account that is applicable in the New Testament for us uh, as God's people. Let's look over in Second Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, and I want to look just quickly at this, this thought of, of receiving someone who has uh, been in error and wants to return to the Lord. Verse 5. But if any has caused sorrow, he has caused sorrow not to me, but in some degree, in order not to say too much to all of you. Sufficient for such a one is a punishment which was inflicted by the majority. So that on the contrary, you should rather forgive and comfort him, lest somehow such a one be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. Okay. 
the, the next set of thoughts. Um, what is the temperature um, of the, the congregation? I'm not talking about the thermostat and what it reads, but rather the thermostat of the heart. What is the temperature when we walk through the doors uh, of the building? Are, are there are there sometimes blazing fires going on amongst people, members, where where something has has happened and there's some things festering in the air? What is the temperature um, like? What was the temperature like in the home? With the two brothers, you know what, you know were they at each other? What what was the temperature? Uh, I want to look at Philippians chapter four again. A very another very real um, example of what we're talking about. That sometimes the temperature is a little hot amongst amongst brethren. Verse two, I urge verse one and verse two. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown. So stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. There's a, there's some issues there. You know, maybe now is a good time as we think about our relationship with the Lord to forgive, to forgive everything, right? And, and start afresh. If there, if, if there are, you know, festering issues, if there were festering Issues. If there were rivalries, if there were uh, competitive spirits, if there were any types of issues, maybe now is the time to close that door of prayer and and go to God and give it to God and use this 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 time to um, you know use a fire extinguisher and put out the flame. You know, now a good time. Now that we have this separation, because now we realize how desperately we need each other and. And, and what it is that we need. If not, what happens is when that younger brother came home, the fire, the flame was still lit. And he was really upset. Um, and, and we're going to look, we're going to look at that in, in a moment as well. So Proverbs chapter four, because here's what's important, that we guard our hearts from hostility, that we guard our hearts from, you know, the, the, Blaming other people for my own ungodliness. I can't do that, right? Whatever is wrong inside of me, that's my fault. I mean, I get it. You might have helped a little bit, but it's my fault. I mean, you know, so I have to learn to um, run away from sin or, or my own struggles or difficulties. I have to guard my own heart. I need to do damage control for myself and and not blame everybody else. So the younger brother didn't do that. The younger brother went off and he accepted, like a man, he accepted and he blew it. He said, I, 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 I blew it with God. I blew it with you, Father, and I'm willing to be a servant and nothing more, not even a son, just a servant, um, if, if need be, so that I can come back to you. And that's the great joy of the parable, that God is willing to accept us uh, as we are, but you've got to be willing to fess up, right? Confess your faults, my faults. And, uh, and, and that's important to guard our hearts. Verse 20 of Proverbs chapter 4. 
My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their whole body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious lips far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. So right now, um, what's it like inside of your home? Is it is the thermostat getting a little hot, heated? Because maybe you're realizing maybe we don't get along, husband and wife, children, family, like we should have. Maybe we realize that we've kind of grown apart. Now's a good time to to fix those kinds of issues. And I only bring that out because I just heard a report here recently that, yeah, there's a lot more festering now at home because folks are on lockdown and they realize maybe we really don't uh, like each other as much anymore or whatever it may be. That was free. Okay. Back to the text. Luke 15. The father divided his, his property. This is... This is really important going back to the attitude of the um, the older brother. It's so important. Verse 11 and verse 12. Not He didn't give it to one son. He gave everything he had to both sons. Okay? Verse 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. So, it's so easy to talk about the old, the younger brother, the prodigal. Maybe that's why we don't talk about the older brother. It's a lot more difficult, you know, as I'm sitting here and thinking and, you know, and, and meditating on this and praying on this, these scriptures and, and, and this thought and this, the scribes and the Pharisees and their attitude and thinking about the relationship. It's, it's challenging to talk about that, that older brother, but that older brother Something interesting about this. Um, he, he does not, he does not say, no, father, I would never ask this of you. You're, you're still alive, father. I'd rather, I'd rather have you than your money. No, no, instead, uh, Mr. Devious here, uh, takes his two thirds. Right? So, so the rest of it's gone, right? He takes it, uh, willingly takes it. And, and this is going to probably help us to, when we find out later, you know, how bad that attitude is and, and why maybe it's, it's that way. But we see it all the time. Here's what we see. When we think about the prodigal son, in fact, I think my heading, yes, even my heading says prodigal son. That's not what Jesus calls it. Doesn't that happen? Have you ever noticed this in a, in, in a situation that one person commits a sin and is treated one way and another person commits the exact same sin and they're treated very differently? Think about that, right? These two boys committed the same sin. But even in our teaching and in our reading and we think about the prodigal son in the heading, we say, oh, that prodigal son. We cannot forget about, because Jesus does not want us to, 
You cannot treat the older brother differently from the way that you treat the prodigal son. The prodigal son messed up, yeah, but the older brother messed up too. Right? And and what happens is sometimes we just, it's easier, it's easier to teach on the prodigal son because his sins are so evident. You know, it's like, oh, I, you know, we could say, honestly, we could say, well, I'm not going to go and spend my money on prostitutes and I would, I, I would never do that. But when we start talking about this, the secrets of this man's heart, then it starts really hitting home. Because I start finding in me things that I'm going, this doesn't look very pretty. Like Paul said uh, in Romans 7 that he talks about coveting. Had the law not said thou shalt not covet, covet, you know, he would have been innocent. But once the law said that, he, and he, he evaluated his life and he investigated his own mind, his own heart, he realized there was coveting all through him. And he had to face it and change. The prodigal repented. The older brother did not. Right? I didn't just take your money, Dad, in, in a disrespectful way, uh, wishing you were dead because he's asking for the inheritance. You don't get an inheritance when father's alive. The, the older brother didn't repent at all. Um, so the elder brother prevailed in his attitude through the folly of the younger brother. But both of them equally are guilty of taking an inherited portion of monies that didn't belong to them. And the older brother, again, he did not decline the offer. He didn't say, no, Dad. He, you know, he didn't do anything in the text. Okay. The elder son represents the murmuring, um, I guess the illustration and the complaint that God gives us in this text about the Pharisees. That they're not just murmuring in the text. The Pharisees are actually literally contending with God. Openly, severely, and they see themselves as being better than Jesus. Something wrong, right? I mean, they look at Jesus and they're going, yeah, well, if, if he were the son of God, he'd know what kind of lady she is. And I would ask Simon, why is she in your house? You know, but that's probably not for me to ask. But, you know, you're, you're complaining about this woman who is, who is wiping Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears in, in complete sorrow and, why is she even there? And yet Simon has a um, a thought about Jesus. That if Jesus knew who she was, he wouldn't allow her to do that. The self-righteous attitude brings this indignation. The leaders, the leaders didn't care about the mercy of God for other people. They only cared about the mercy of God for themselves. You ever seen that before? Am I like that? You know, someone asks me for forgiveness and then I say, I'm just not ready to forgive you yet. <laughs> Have you ever said, I've said that before of you. you know, everyone in the back row raised their hand. Oh, there's no one back there. Never mind. <laughs> but, you know, have you ever done that before? And we start looking at this, this situation and we realize, remembering that both of the sons 
were lost. That's Jesus' point. Both of the sons were lost, and they both equally needed a Savior. They needed to be found. The eye-opening portion of this lesson to me is the one who was truly lost was the one who thought he was truly saved. And we would have, we could have argued time and time again that the older brother was in a good relationship with God based on what he says about himself. I've, I've never forsaken you. But when you look at the text and you listen to what Jesus is saying, you realize that the older brother is in a very bad strait, in a very bad situation with God because of his sin. They both willingly took their father's money. And when you think about a comparison, The prodigal left home to go where he could live as he pleased without um, any restrictions, uh, without, you know, his father, whatever the reasons were. He wanted to leave and and he left and he went to a very far distant country where maybe he was not accountable. I mean, whatever, whatever it might be. But the elder brother stayed home. But here's the problem. The elder brother even though he stayed home, was still off in a far country, meaning away from God because his heart, his heart was way off. It was wrong. So what did Jesus have to say about that? Well, he said it first through a prophetic utterance, through the prophet Isaiah, and then Jesus repeats what Isaiah says about the Pharisees. Remember, we're talking about the Pharisees, how distant they are from Jesus. Okay? So I want to go to Mark chapter 7 now. Um, and I want to look at verse 6. And listen to what Jesus says about the heart of the Pharisees. Verse 6 says, And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God. You hold to the tradition of men. And he was also saying to them, you nicely set aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. And so this is what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees, in order to maintain a self-righteous attitude. They made their outside, their exterior look nice. They broadened their phylacteries and they looked like priests and very important people, very important religious people, spiritual-minded people, godly people. But even though they looked like that and they were in the temples and they were doing the, you know, the, the priestly duties and amongst the Sanhedrin and making the judgment calls and guiding the people, leading the people, remembering Jesus said, don't do as they do, do as they say. And they're guiding the people, they're putting heavy loads on the people and making them do things that the Scriptures don't necessarily demand, but they had this really heavy load on them. And um, but they, But even though they were in the temple, on a regular basis, Jesus says their hearts were far, far away, like the prodigal, they were off in a distant land. You see, and this is what the older brother's situation is. 
that though he is in the Father's household and has been there and has not forsaken it, he's in a far, far land. And I want you to think about that uh, tonight um, in, in your relationship with God. Am I near to God or am I distant? Even right now, this pandemic, this, this pandemic, though we are physically distant, we, none of us should be distant from God, right? Because we're, because God is, should be in our homes and in our hearts and on our minds and we should, we should not be distant from God. We feel the physical, um, distance and we we long for it i know i do we we long for being able to be together again thank god for that but we shouldn't be distant from god we shouldn't be unfaithful to god even though we are not coming to the building and and having a, a bible study or or worship service we should still be faithful to god in our daily reading in our daily prayer in our relationships in our lifestyle in our morality we should still be very united and close to god even maybe more so now than ever but at the same time i wonder when we come back when when you know everything's lifted and we and it's safe and all those types of things when we're able to come back i wonder I wonder how many will come back. You ever, have you thought about that? I mean, at all, I've, you know, have you ever, have you thought about that? How many, how many of us will actually return? And then what, what kind of, um, mission are we going to have to be on as a congregation to go out and, and find, like the, like the prodigal, go out and find our brethren who, who, because of this, uh, this pandemic, uh, have scattered and now we have to be like Jesus, and we have to go out and find that lost sheep and bring them back to the fold. Is that going to be our focus? Is that going to be our direction when we return uh, from the pandemic? Or or will everyone, pray God, come back? And then we're all here, and we just celebrate together in, in, in joy and happiness and strengthen each other because we have remained close to God. So what I would like to caution you and encourage you to do is to not drift far from God, but rather to draw closer to God. The Pharisees were far, far from God, but we don't want to be like the older brother or like the Pharisees. We want to be close to each other, close to God. And distance, it's like a, a when in the military we deploy and, um, you know, we have to do what we have to do. That should, I mean, that make, we long for our loved ones uh, at home. It, should that destroy our relationship? No, but, but it does in so many occasions because Satan gets involved. And so what I would like to caution you to remember is like we said in Proverbs chapter 4, as the Bible says, guard your hearts. Don't let Satan intervene or come into your life in any way, shape, or form. Keep him at a distance and Draw closer and closer to God. Closing, um, I want to encourage you that if you're if you're feeling um, you, know, you need more prayers made in your behalf, if if you're something you're struggling with, call the office, um, contact the elders, let us know, and and we will 
you know, we can add it to the bulletin if you choose. Um, but but we we need to pray for each other. And even though uh, maybe you haven't received a call, let's remember to pray for each other, for uh, our own spiritual strength, for our own spiritual condition uh, and conditioning so that this just makes us stronger and not makes us and not make us weaker. So I, I encourage you, please, to remember to do that. So with that being said, we're going to end our Bible class in a moment. Brother James is going to come up and uh, uh, speak to you. And I just want to thank you for for your time and, and for being present with us tonight. God bless each and every one of you. Thank you.